Well, today we come to the end of our story and to the practice of Christian hospitality. We've been reading Paul's letter to Philemon together, his shortest of all the epistles. And we discovered that behind the letter, there is a story. And it's a story that unfolds in three acts. I say act, chapter, act, act one is leaving the house. Act two is coming to faith. Act uh, three is living as family. Now at the heart of act three, we find a practice. Christian hospitality. We don't think much about it these days. Very common for them in their day. Michael Green, who wrote a landmark study on the expansion of the first followers of Jesus in the Christian church, writes that hospitality in the home was one of the most important methods of spreading the gospel in antiquity. And here it is. And frankly, this is my favorite part of the letter here at the end. Let's read Philemon chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. Perhaps you brought a Bible to church or you can grab one now or you have one on your phone. And if you're able, let's all stand together as an act of worship, reading God's word, asking him to speak to us through what was written long ago. Once you're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Verse 20, yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. One more thing, the apostle says, prepare a guest room for me. Now, I think there are two lessons for us in these words. And the first is this, welcome the stranger. Welcome the stranger. The word guest room that Paul uses in the original language is xenia. It means, uh, it's the same root as the word for stranger, which is xenos. You know, you recognize that root in our world, xenophobia, which is what? The fear of the stranger, xenophobia. So that's the fear of the xenos. The guest room is xenia. It's a, it's a space for the stranger. Space for the stranger, xenia. Now, the word hospitality, when it's translated in the Greek New Testament, is rendering a word, see if you can figure out what it means, xenophilia. What's that? It's the love of the stranger. That's exactly right. It's a different way of thinking about hospitality than what comes to our minds when we think of hospitality. Martha Stewart and folding the napkins just so. This is about the love of the stranger. This is about making space in your life for the stranger, the one who's different, the one who's odd, the one who's foreign, the alien, 
That's what hospitality, loving the stranger. And of course, this points us right to the heart of our Lord, to God himself, who has space in his life for strangers, who has love in his life for strangers. It was interesting, the Lord this week brought to mind words that were very similar to this passage as we mourned the loss of my mother. We read from John 14 where Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. Do you hear the similarity there? Paul says, prepare a room for me. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. He says, I'm I'm going to prepare a place and when everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you. And we have had to grapple with the reality that for mom, things were ready. And that our Lord, that her Savior, came and got her and take, took her home to be with him. You see, Jesus is the space in God's heart for the stranger. God took my mom home. God loves my mom, not because she's so much like him, they're <laughs> always on the same page, not because she's so impressive to him, Not because she promises to do anything for him, but simply because of who God is. God loves and welcomes and creates space for the stranger. And there's room in God's heart for my mom. Like there's room in God's heart for each of us. Welcome the stranger. The way Jesus welcomes us. Think about the impact of Christian hospitality. My mom had a guest room. She actually has a really, really nice uh, guest room. Uh, Long after I had left the home, they did some remodeling. One day, my young family is coming back from the East Coast to stay with my parents, and we're looking forward to staying in this luxurious guest room. And mom says, oh, um, you'll be staying in your own bedroom. What? A little twin bed? I've got kids, a wife. Well, yeah, yeah, the guest room is full. Well, she, what had happened was she had invited her golf teacher uh, and her same-sex partner into the guest room. And what happened there? Well, um, this couple had a business that folded and they didn't have any resources. And they, and they couldn't get jobs. Maybe there was some discrimination. I don't know. Mom said, sure, we have a guest room. Why don't you stay with us? She invited them to move in, and they stayed there for over a year. Hospitality, making space for the stranger. Now, was that easy for my parents? No. Um, Did my mom agree with everything in their lifestyle and their beliefs? No. That wasn't what this was about. It was about welcoming others the way she had experienced welcome in God's life. She knew that when her life was disordered, when she wasn't thinking properly about all points of theology, God said in Jesus Christ, you are mine. Come home. Space for the stranger. Madeleine Albright, when she was here just a few years ago giving a lecture, said the basic problem in the world today is people defining themselves by their difference. Think about that. She says it's a basic problem in the world. She was Madeleine Albright, you know, Secretary of State. She would know. 
The basic problem in the world is people defining themselves by their difference. And Henry Nouwen writes, this is our calling as followers of Jesus. This is our calling to convert hostility into hospitality. And then I love these words. He says, not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. See, hospitality offers space where change can take place. No one ever changes outside the context of love. I think Mr. Rogers said that in a New York Times interview, and it's kind of stuck in my head, right? You're not going to change. God's not going to change you outside of the context of his love. And so our calling, not to change people, but to offer space where change can take place, where hostility can turn into hospitality. So think of the impact of Christian hospitality. Think of the impact. Now, I don't know, you know, these two women, I I met them. I, I don't know them well. I don't know that they became followers of Jesus, but I do know this. My mom and that simple gesture changed their understanding of what it would be to be a follower of Christ forever. They have a different understanding of a Christian because of that experience. And my mom would just do what you would do. She just leave it to the Holy Spirit. The rest is up to the Holy Spirit, right? You do your thing and you let the Holy Spirit, because Jesus loves them as much as he loves her and she knows that. She's trusting Jesus to work in their lives as he's been working in hers. Welcome the stranger the way Jesus welcomes us. For Jesus, he knows about the impact. This is like a mission strategy. If you think about it, the gospels are basically dinner parties. There are accounts of dinner parties, right? You look at the Gospel of Luke, 10 dinner, dinner parties. Luke structures the whole story of Jesus around 10 dinner parties. And as those parties happen, it's like who he eats with, when he eats, why he eats, demonstrating the space in God for all these people, space in which change, life change really does happen. The movement grows. It's a mission strategy. It bubbles right over into the book of Acts. And this is what we do at UPC. This is what Jesus is doing at UPC. So this is the heart of our mission. We say we are a family of communities. This is our mission statement. Joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of our neighbors at the University of Washington, in our neighborhoods, and all around the world. So what we want is that we have an experience of family here on Sunday. And I'm I'm getting a taste of it just this morning as I see you greeting each other. This is like a family reunion. Here we are. We're gathered together, but we don't stay here, right? We leave from this place and we go out into the neighborhoods of Seattle to make space for strangers. And, and, And of all kinds, right? Political strangers, like social, cultural, ethnic strangers, all kinds of strangers. We love them. And that's what Christian hospitality is. Maybe it's a sandwich. Maybe it's taking a walk with the dogs together. Maybe it's watching a game together. And you go, and I can see, because I'm like this too. Like we're Northern Europeans, many of us. We're Presbyterians, the frozen chosen. And we kind of call, call, you know, fold our arms. And we say, you know, uh, that's too risky. You know, my life is too messy. Uh, my house is too messy. Uh, my life is too busy, you, you know. And so we say, I don't, I don't have space for one more activity. Don't tell me I'm now I'm supposed to have dinner parties. Well, I'm not exactly telling you that. Because Christian hospitality is not a thing to do, but a way of life. We talk about way of life for just a moment. Mike and Sally Breen say, you know, many of us think of that following Jesus and, and, and being involved in mission as family or mission. Like I got to choose one or the other. 
I'm so tied up with my family, I don't have time for mission. So it's family or mission. And then they say, well, then kind of other people move to this model like, well, I, I feel guilty if I don't do mission because I know as a Christian I'm called to mission. So I'm going to do family and mission, which is like a recipe for burnout or breakup. Family and mission. I was, my plate was full with family. Now you're adding mission, trouble. I try. I'll, I try to hold it together. And I can see on your faces you get that, some of you, right? Like the fatigue of that is enormous. Mike and Sally Breen said, we've discovered family on mission, which is not an alternative, which is not an addition, which is about integration. It's a way of life. It's about incorporating the mission of Jesus into our family life, into our everyday life, the stuff that we do. We just now do it with other people and we do it with a new level of intention. Hospitality now moves to the center. Actually, um, we think of our strategy as a way of life. We call it formational community, or FC for short, formational community. But here's the definition. You can, we, have a, we have a diagram that you can look at that shows you this. And hold that up for there for a second. But the definition of formational community is formational community is a way of life. It's not a program. It's a way of life. And occurs when circles of friends live as family on mission for their neighbors, being formed as disciples in the process. Do you see these three circles? If you live with this way of life, your life is actually less complicated and more integrated. Because formation, mission, and community all happen together. You just do what you do, but you now do it with others, with other believers and with neighbors, and a new level of intention. John Chrysostom, the uh, church father of the fourth century, writes this, if you want someone to become a Christian, let the person live with you for a year. <laughs> That's pretty challenging. Well, the reality is you can fake somebody else for a few months. For many of us, it's just three days and we're done. What's that they say about fish? But for a year... Then they get a real look at what's authentic in your life and what's really holding you together and sustaining you. Chrysostom was right. You've got to have people in your space. You've got to invite them in. You've got to welcome them in the way Jesus welcomes us. Christian hospitality. This is what Paul is seeking from Philemon. Prepare a guest room for me, he says. And I say, welcome the stranger the way Jesus welcomes us. That's the first lesson. But there's a second lesson in this passage, and it's just below the surface. And this is my favorite part. It's become a stranger. Now think about that for a moment. Did you get that? Become a stranger. Notice, in this scenario, Paul's not going to be the host, is he? He's not saying, hey, Philemon, come into my space. He's saying, Philemon, let me come into your space. Let me be a stranger in your house. Think about that. Let me show you a picture. This is a picture of my mom. Um, there she is on the right. Um, and if you look really closely behind that, can you see a table behind? behind? This is my mom and this is my, her brother, Uncle Bob. Um, Peggy is my mom's name, and Uncle Bob. And behind them, there's a table. And I want to tell you, that's the table where my mom grew up, that little wooden table there. It's also the table uh, that she brought me to for holidays. Now, this is Maine, uh, just outside of Portland, Maine. I grew up in California. And I was taken like once a year for a week or so, our Christmas vacation or our summer vacation, we would be in that, in that kitchen. And it was a wonderful place, but I have to tell you, it was also a strange place. And if you look closely, <laughs> if you can see, 
Uh, somebody noticed guns in the back corner. I mean, just imagine little George, and I'm, I, know, I don't live around guns, but now there are guns. Uh, <clears throat> to the left of the photo is where uh, Grampy, my mom's father, would cook, and Grampy made codfish for breakfast. No waffles, no pancakes, codfish. <laughs> we didn't eat codfish uh, on the West Coast, in California anyways. Uh, it was a lot that was strange. And he'd sit in the back corner near the guns, and he's a big guy, and he would tell stories about, strange stories about people with strange names like Quimby and Gooch. And I thought, do these people even really exist? T to this day, Ann and I still wonder whether these are actual people or stories he made up. But we would sit at that table, eat codfish cakes, Italian sandwiches, laugh and cry together. That was a place where I was a stranger at first. Interesting, uh, last week I flew down to California as my mom died suddenly. And, um, and I, so I went down there and my sisters, who both live in California, were there in dad's house. And, and um, Uncle Bob came down, he came from Maine, and um, Aunt Martha came from New Hampshire and, and others. We were all there together, you know, sorting through photos. That's how I found that uh, picture. What was so interesting is that we were telling the same old stories and laughing at the same old things and crying together. And it, and it felt so very familiar to me. And I realize that now, you know, 56 years later, this is who I've become. The, the, this experience at Grampy's table where mom grew up has shaped my identity, my sense of, of who I am as a person. And I realize now I can't get to mom's table anymore. That house is sold, and she's gone. But mom's table has gotten inside of me. That's the gift of being a stranger. It's a gift to be a stranger. By the way, it's a gift that you give your neighbor when you become a stranger. Ann and I have learned never to say no to an invitation from one of our neighbors. I'll say no to you all the time. <laughs> but when one of our neighbors invites us, we take that this is sacred space, that something is happening in their lives that would make them want to create space in their lives for us. So we, we move heaven and earth to become strangers in their lives. Because if you think about it, it makes sense, right? It's a lot harder, it's hard to be a, a host, it's a lot harder to be a guest in someone else's house, right? Just imagine someone you don't really know that well has just invited you over for dinner tonight and you're feeling like, oh, I gotta say yes. You know, why do you feel like I gotta say yes? <laughs> you know, so you're gonna be in there, different smells, different sights, it's, you know, it's a strange place to you. Not to them, but to you, it's a strange place. Now you're in their space as a stranger and you don't know what food they're gonna serve. I mean, I mean, you don't know. Uh, you might be a vegetarian. Or worse, they might be vegetarians, right? <laughs> and so, you know, and you don't know, for me, this is the big one, how long is the night going to go, you know? <laughs> I mean, when it takes two hours to get the hors d'oeuvres, you know, out, then I think, oh, no. You know, I'm an early-to-bed guy. When we lived in Boston, we lived across the hedge from um, a postdoc student at MIT, and they, was, they were from Sweden, and we would eat with them all the time. We'd love to have them over to our house. Going to their house, um, it wasn't so much the food, and this is going to be revealing too much about myself. They didn't serve napkins at the table. 
And I don't like getting my fingers all messy. And so it's just me. I'm a little quirky, right? So I learned to bring a tissue paper in my pocket. <laughs> you know, so but the point is, when you are a stranger in somebody else's house, you lose two things, comfort and control. Comfort and control. Now, this is really hard for Presbyterians because we have a lot of comfort and we love our control. <laughs> Can I say that with all Christian charity? Right? I, I'm this, I put myself in the same box. So when we come into someone else's house, we give them a gift by being willing to be a stranger and to yield to them a sense of what comfort is and a sense of, of, of control. And I say that it might just be that this is then sacred space. It, it was in Luke 24, by the way. Ask yourself why Luke 24 is in the Bible. Jesus, after the resurrection, is walking along a road to Emmaus. He walks with two disciples who do not, for some reason, recognize him. To, to them, he's a stranger. And as the evening comes and it gets cool and the sun goes down, they're still walking. They pass their village and they say, Jesus, come enjoy hospitality. Would you stay in with us tonight? I mean, they don't know who he is, right? They don't say Jesus. They say friend or whatever, stranger. Come and break bread with us. So he does. And, and if you know the story, what happens is he gets in there and for some reason... He takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it. And all of a sudden, what happens? Their eyes are open, and they realize this is Jesus. He's alive again. And that, that, I believe that story is in the Bible to remind us that even though we can't see Jesus, when we enjoy hospitality, when we gather around the table, and the bread is broken, blessed, and served, in that moment, we recognize Jesus is among us. He's here. And so it might just be that when your neighbor invites you into their space, Jesus is doing something in their life. He's preparing for their eyes to be open. And if you get to see him do that in their life, I can tell you, your eyes are going to be open as well. You're going to go, wow, I am on mission with Jesus. He's here in my neighborhood. It's a gift you give in a neighbor's house to become a stranger. It's also a gift you receive in God's house, when you and I can learn how to become strangers. Because the stranger is a metaphor for Christian life, isn't it? Remember Peter? He says, you are strangers and aliens. And some of you more than others. But you are strangers and aliens. What he's saying is, don't get too comfortable in this life. Don't get too comfortable in this world. It's not your home, right? be willing to experience a loss of comfort and control in the world. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is what Paul is getting at in this letter to Philemon with the last line of the letter, which we read earlier. Paul says, the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Now, Lord is not his name. It's his function in the world. It's his place over all of life. Lord, it means he's the host. Jesus is the host. And just like when he came into that house in Emmaus or Luke 24 and took the bread because he's always the host in that home, he will always be the host in your life as well. He never comes into our lives as guest. I was in Princeton, New Jersey. Someone handed me a track and said, is Jesus in your boat? And I want to hand it back and go, the question isn't, is Jesus in my boat? This question is, am I in Jesus' boat? Right? 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the whole letter has been about. Paul has been trying to graciously impress upon Philemon that Onesimus doesn't belong to you, that the church in your house doesn't belong to you, that the house doesn't belong to you, and you don't belong to you. All of this is mine, our heavenly host says. All of this, all that you are, is mine. I have created space in which you live and move and have your being, space in time and space, so that you can experience my love. And, but I'm your host. And so don't get too comfortable in this life. And so don't hesitate to surrender control. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. So much, so much, I think a lot of the emotional substrate that I'm experiencing right now is that I, for the last year and a half, I've had a profound sense of loss of control. I can't be a pastor the way I'm used to being a pastor. Uh, you know, I can't go where I want to go. I can't wear, dress the way I want to dress. And you've, you've gone through that trauma as well. And, and so isn't it nice to know that actually in God's house, we don't need to be in control, that he's a good host. We have a, a bird flying around here this morning. If you're on the live stream, you're really missing something special. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I don't want to be weird, but... I know that when Jesus was baptized, the father released a bird onto the head of Jesus. And he said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And I take it as a blessing. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be loose in this place this morning. And I think we have a sign. Become a stranger because Jesus is in your host, is, is your host. So the key to life with this metaphor, then, is to becoming a guest in your own life. <laughs> I want you to think about that. What does it mean for you to become a guest in your own life? Well, you're not the host, but you're a stranger. Are you willing to give up comfort? Are you willing to surrender control? Just like you would if you lived in somebody else's house or visited somebody else's house. Because Jesus keeps inviting us into a larger space, a larger and larger space. And that's uncomfortable. Who am I, we should ask. What are the ways of this house, we should ask him. Where are you at work and what's my role? This is, these are questions for prayer. We should all bring them to our heavenly host. Remember my definition of prayer. Prayer is authorizing God to direct my circumstances even when it's against my desires. That's why we gather here. Every Sunday, this is a family reunion. We gather around the table of our Savior Jesus Christ. This is not here today. Just as we would gather around my mom's uh, kitchen table to remember who we are. All week long, the world is squeezing you into its mold, putting you under pressure to try to make you like the world, to value what it values. Its story is colonizing your imagination. And then we need to come back here on Sunday to reclaim the truth about our lives in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's why we tell the stories, we sing the songs, we pray the prayers. We're being reformed and our eyes are being opened to the presence of Jesus in our lives. So we don't live at the table, we know that. But the goal is to get the table into our lives so that we can become like Jesus, the way I have become like my mom. 
You know, they say when someone dies, they say, we lost her. But we haven't lost mom. We know exactly where she is. Because she knew that Jesus was her host. We know that she's with him. And the same can be true for you. Jesus says to you as well, I go to prepare a place for you. And one day you and I will put on our socks for the last time. And if we yield comfort and control to our Savior Jesus Christ and grant that he is host in our lives, when we cross over into the next life, we will not arrive there as strangers. It will all be so very and strangely familiar because for the very first time we'll find ourselves home. Welcome the stranger and become a stranger because Jesus would be host to all. Oh, one last thing. You're going to want to know what happened to Onesimus. <laughs> right? Young Onesimus, what happened to him? Well, we don't know for sure, but an early first century writer named Ignatius writes of the bishop of Ephesus, and his name is Onesimus. The bishop of Ephesus? Now, we don't know that it's the same Onesimus, because actually the name Onesimus was a very common name for Roman slaves. It, it actually means useful. <laughs> um, there's a pause, Paul plays a pun on it three times in this letter. It's right there in verse 20 as well, where he says, you know, let me have this benefit. He's, he's saying, hey, finally, do something useful for me, is what he's saying. It's a riff on Onesimus' name. But we know this bishop in Ephesus, whoever he was, whether he was our Onesimus or somebody else's, we know that once he was a slave, because no one names their kid useful. <laughs> we just don't do that. <laughs> but you name your slave useful. And so this slave one day came across in his own neighborhood a community of people who learned how to turn strangers into family members. And now he's home with the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. It's a family reunion. Um, we're, we just come together around the table. Um, maybe it's to laugh, maybe it's to cry. Uh, but we're here because you've invited us here. And we're here because we want none but you to be our host in our own lives, in this church, and actually in this whole world. That's our greatest dream. And we can't believe that it's actually your promise. But it is, but it is. Help us in our unbelief. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Send us out as brothers and sisters to reclaim this great family for which you gave your life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.